Today is part two in the sermon series, Acts of Generosity, and we'll be reading another story from the book of Acts. Today's reading describes how the practices of the early church took shape. So listen for how God's spirit moved among those first Christians in the first church. From Acts chapter four. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was among them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as any had need. May God bless this reading to our understanding. They had everything in common. What does that mean? Luke writes the book of Luke about the life of Jesus, and then Luke writes the book of Acts about the life of the church. What God began in Jesus continues in the church. Luke describes this first church on the earth by saying, Now the company of all those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had everything in common. Throughout the centuries of Christianity, folks have mused over what this phrase might mean. Were those early Christians practicing some form of communism? People have asked that, and it doesn't quite add up because if we keep reading, we read about Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira holding private property, so it doesn't seem like they were communist. Or maybe maybe those early Christians formed some kind of communal living arrangement, you know, had a community gardener, a community health co-op, but there's no evidence that they lived together because they talk about worshiping in one another's homes, moving about to each other's homes because they don't yet have church buildings. Some scholars suggest that this phrase, shared all things in common, is more of an exaggeration to show how deeply and joyfully enthusiastic they were about generously sharing life with one another. Perhaps Luke is just employing hyperbole when he says that they were of one heart and soul and that there was not a needy person among them. So many times over the years in my life as a church member, growing up in a church, as my uh, career working, serving in the church, I have noticed members of the congregation sharing things in common so that there was not a needy person among them. I remember going to a singles Sunday school class party. We met at Richard's house. Everyone grabbed a paintbrush and a paint pan or bucket of paint, some of us on ladders, some of us down at the baseboards. Everyone was painting Richard's garage because they realized Richard needed a boost. He wasn't going to get it done if they didn't come over and partner with him to make it happen. They held all things in common. I remember during the pandemic when an elderly widow became very isolated and lonely. But on her birthday, members of the church 
organized a group of bagpipers to come and serenade her in the backyard because they knew how much she enjoyed bagpipe music. Not a needy person among them, one heart, one soul. I remember a man in the church who used to secretly make sure that another family's child had piano lessons because they, the, the generous secret person knew that that family had recently faced a job layoff. And I remember a small group pitching in to pack the boxes and move the furniture for one of the members of their small group because they knew that that family at that moment could not afford professional movers and packers. They held all things in common. Do you think this is what Luke might mean when he uses that phrase, all things in common? Professor Alan Mitchell, who taught scripture at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., proposes that in order for us to understand what Luke means by all things in common, we need to know how they heard that phrase in the ancient world. You see, the phrase does not originate with the biblical language or with the author of Luke. Instead, it comes from a previous time, from Plato, from Aristotle and other Greek and Roman philosophers predating Christian movement, and they use this phrase to talk about friendship. And in the ancient day, friendship was based on reciprocity. If you invite me over to dinner, I will invite you back. If you pick up the tab for lunch this time, I promise I'll get it next time. And in the ancient day, not only was friendship reciprocal, but it was also confined to prescribed social boundaries. Bank presidents were friends with other bank presidents. Day laborers spent their off hours dining with other day laborers. People created social networks among the same cultural and ethnic and national backgrounds. Arabs with Arabs, Ethiopians with Ethiopians, Brooksiders with Brooksiders, Northlanders with Northlanders. So friendship became stratified around socioeconomic lines. They held all things in common within prescribed social boundaries. The rich provided charity for the poor, and that made the rich feel satisfied. It met a need. And for Luke, friendship has a different purpose. Luke, you see, Luke is aware that the people he is writing to have experienced a recent influx of immigrants into their society. Lots of cultural customs are clashing in among people who do not share a common history or a common language or a common culture. Luke is aware that the already strained economic conditions of his society have been pushed even further and poverty is rampant. So Luke says that those who are rich with many possessions are selling their lands and their houses and they're bringing the proceeds and they're laying them at the apostles' feet and if we were to keep reading, which I can't do because, you know, we already heard the stewardship talk. So I cut the scripture short, Jeff. But if we kept reading, we would read about Barnabas, a wealthy landowner who sells his field and he brings it and he lays it at the feet of a group of poor people. 
Galilean fishermen, those who became the apostles of Jesus. Luke paints an image of the rules of reciprocity broken down, all those social protocols ignored in the church, says Luke. In the church, the rich treat the poor like friends. And we all know what we are willing to do for a friend. We'll paint your garage, we'll take you a casserole, we'll pay for your kid's piano lesson, we'll play music in your backyard if you're lonesome. Luke sees a different kind of friendship, friendship between the rich and the poor. No paybacks are needed. In Luke's idea of friendship, rich and poor are part of one common humanity. The Mission Hills folks, hang out with the folks from Belton. Luke says that in this church, no one has any need. They have no need for status. Do not list my name in the symphony program as a benefactor, no social climbing. The first round draft pick in the NFL is no better than the janitor cleaning the toilets at Union Station. And the poor have no needs, no hunger, no homelessness, no substandard schools in the church. The rich and the poor are one heart and one soul. They are friends, equal partners at this table of God where everyone feasts on God's great grace. What about us? We are great at giving to the poor, but do we befriend the poor? Are we still living in a society that is stratified and fragmented based on all that we do not have in common? Luke imagines the, that the world can be transformed by friendship amongst God's people. Luke seeks friendship, not charity. What does it mean to adopt the kind of friendship where everyone is equally showered with God's great grace. Let me tell you a story. It's a story that you may have heard fragments of before, but maybe you haven't heard this part of it. It's a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany as Hitler rose to power. But Bonhoeffer was against Nazism. And although many churches and many clergy went along with Hitler, Bonhoeffer did not. He spoke out, and because of that, he was silenced by the government. He was forbidden to speak in public. He was forbidden to publish any documents. And so good Christian friends of Bonhoeffer's here in the United States saw to it that he was invited to teach theology and receive a permanent position at a university in New York. Bonhoeffer came to the United States before the war broke out, but once he got here, he said, I've made a big mistake. I have to go home. And he wrote a letter to his well-meaning friends who had made it possible for him to come to this country. And I quote from the letter, I can have no right to reconstruct, re reconstruct Christianity in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this period along with my people. Do you hear what Bonhoeffer is saying? He is holding all things in common with them. He is insisting that he walk alongside those who are suffering. He cannot escape it. He has to be with friends. 
He goes on in that letter to say, Christians in Germany now stand before the frightful alternative of either willing the defeat of their own nation so that Christian civilization can live on or speak out for victory which will eventually destroy civilization. He said, I know which of these alternatives I have to choose, but I cannot make that choice while I remain in safety. So Hitler went back to, I mean, so, sorry, Bonhoeffer went back to Hitler's Nazi Germany to walk alongside his friends. He did everything in his power to defeat Hitler. And just two days before the war was over, he himself was executed in prison. Bonhoeffer saw his fellow German citizens as friends. He held all things in common with them and had to stand alongside them. A few weeks ago, four members of the board of our congregation, Country Club Christian Church, and four members of the board of Swope Parkway United Christian Church met right upstairs across the hall from the balcony. And, and we had an hour and a half long meeting and I realized as we sat down at that table that we have a lot in common and we have very little in common. One church is located on Swope Parkway. Their building is in disrepair. It is worth very little money and it would be cost prohibitive to repair it so that it could be used for worship again. One church is on Ward Parkway and its members are currently investing millions to restore this facility for future ministry, the next 100. At that meeting in the conference room, 10 of us, two pastors, four board members from each congregation, we reviewed the good synergy that has come about since Swope Parkway began worshiping every week in our chapel at 11.30. They've been there since last summer. And then we began to dream about what we might do as two congregations to deepen our partnership with one another. Every single person at the table spoke, and we chose our words carefully a history of racism in our nation put all of us on edge and made us hesitant as we spoke. We named aloud our hopes and our dreams for unity, not just within the church, but within the city. We dreamed about a transformed world, and we also put words to our fears and our concerns. We might hurt each other's feelings. We might say the wrong thing, and what I noticed as we talked is that each person was being very honest and very cautious. And then one person made an offhanded joke and the entire group, all 10 of us, burst out in laughter. We doubled over with laughter. We laughed for a good minute, raucous laughter. And in that laughter, I felt the Spirit. I felt the movement of the Holy Spirit. I felt grace. I felt free. I realized that it was possible for us to be real with one another. We are different, but we are one heart and soul, one together at the foot of the cross. We are people prone to mistakes. We are black and white, and we are the resurrected people of God on this earth. Friendship 
has the power to unite us into the one human race that God created us to be at the beginning of all time. We have the opportunity to change the world through a different kind of friendship. Let me close with this story that I learned from my friend and colleague, Tom R. It's a story that speaks to me about this mysterious thing that we do have in common. Tom was serving a church in Jacksonville, Florida, along with one of my seminary classmates. It's a good church. I can picture it. Across the street from the church is a city park, and that happens to be the park where the houseless of Jacksonville often spend the night. So Tom was accustomed to those unhoused folks approaching him as he walked into church in the morning. Pastor, a little spare change. How about a sandwich? It was part of the routine of showing up at that church. One day, Tom was leaving the church, headed just down the street to a coffee shop, when a man walked out of the park, clearly having slept there the night before. Can I come in with you? Sure, said Tom. Come on. They walked into the coffee shop. Tom ordered a cup of coffee, and then he turned and pointed to the man who had walked in with him, and he said, and I'll pay for whatever he's having. And the man said, I'll just have a cup of water. And then he reached into his pocket. And he pulled out some money, and he placed it on the counter, and he said, I'll buy the reverend's coffee. Tom was surprised. He said, what? You're buying my coffee? He said, well, you're the pastor of that church, right? Well, yes, I am. You have that really nice choir. Yes, we do. I used to sing in that choir when I was in college, said the man. But when my mom got sick, I dropped out. But I love that choir. And your custodian lets me in every Thursday night while the choir is rehearsing, and I sit in the balcony, and it is the best part of my week, because then, for one hour, I am surrounded by beauty. Don't you just love it, the man said to Tom. Don't you just love it when those moments come around and you realize you're surrounded by beauty? Please, he said, let me buy your coffee, and when you please tell the choir how much I appreciate them, how grateful I am, and would you tell them that the piece they sang last week by Rudder is one of my favorites.